This morning, it's good to be together, church. I'm excited that we get to just worship and get in God's Word. Those that are at home with us, thank you so much for joining us. It's a, it's a continual reminder, just we are a family of God. Wherever we're coming from, however we're worshiping together today, God is here, God is there with you, and He's doing great things. Well, this morning, we're going to continue in our summer series. If you remember, we've been going through a study in the book of Philippians. So if you want to turn with me to Philippians, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians chapter 3. Because if you remember, as we're going through the study that we've called Joyful, this was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And then as we go through it today, just it's a reminder too that in a way, as he was writing it to them, God also had some incredible things that he was writing to us as a church too here at Bethany in 2020. And I'm excited as we get through this to see those, those incredible things. I'm going to be in the CSB version this morning if you're on a digital Bible and you want to kind of follow along with me there, the CSB version as you're turning there. Last week, Pastor Billy, he closed out chapter 2. And it was, he was closing out chapter 2. We got to this weird section where it seemed like Paul kind of took this like left turn just for a minute. And he went from teaching to just kind of talking about his personal life, his friends, those he loved, those he was sending to the church, and began to celebrate them because and it, was in, it wasn't as random as it might apparently look because he was celebrating them because of everything he'd been teaching us so far through chapters 1 and 2. He was now saying, and look at these guys. These are great examples of that. It was a great section for us to get to as he'd been challenging us. He was saying, and look, you can do this. These are guys that have, doing, have already been doing this and living this out. And now as we come into chapter three, we're going to come into another challenge. We're going to, it's, it's another section, a kind of a whole new thought that Paul is about to get to right here, but it's an incredible challenge for us. And one thing that's significant about this challenge is something that we're going to see in these scriptures that Paul said, hey, I struggled with this too. I had to wrestle through this. This is something that God had to teach me so that I could be the man that God wanted me to be. So I want you to hear this, hear this this morning, church, so that we can be the church, the people who God wants us to be as well. So let's start together. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. Here's what he says. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, Regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless, but everything that was a gain to me, I have now considered a loss because of Christ. As Paul begins this section, right here at the beginning of verse 1, he gets to this phrase that is a beautiful summary. He's already been echoing this throughout the book of Philippians, and this call to us, he says, All right, my brothers and my sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And it, almost the way he says it, he's like saying, you heard me say it before. I've said it a bunch of times. Hear me say it again. It's, it's, it's important for you to hear this. But he adds this extra phrase there that he hadn't quite used yet. And he adds this phrase, and he says, because it is also a safeguard for you. Look again, just at verse 1 together. He says this, in addition, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord to write to you again about this is not trouble for me and is a safeguard, is a safeguard for you. 
And when Paul says that it's like a safeguard for us, he's coming and he's wanting to like encourage us and remind us that when it comes to this, this basic idea, maybe this phrase, if you've grown up in the church, you might be used to hearing or even saying it. Just rejoice in the Lord. It almost can become like this Christian slang that we might use, that Christianese that just becomes this common thing for us to say. But he's saying, no, this is a bigger deal than just something to say. This is a safeguard to you. He's, he's reminded, it's almost like he, if he was telling us, hey, remember to put on your seatbelt. Imagine if Paul was coming, he was saying, okay, hey, remember to put on your seatbelt. This is a simple thing for me to say, and it's an important safeguard to you. Because whenever you're driving, you never know what's going to happen. So since you don't know what's going to happen, make sure you put on your seatbelt. That's going to protect you no matter what happens while you're driving. It's like it's car driving safety 101. And so now he's coming and he's saying, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Because this is a spiritual safety, a spiritual safeguard for us. Really, maybe spiritual safety 101. Because Paul knows the temptation of our hearts. And how easy it is to look at things around us. And as we put our confidence in those things, we neglect to put our confidence in the Lord. And so he's saying, when you focus on God, when you rejoice in the Lord, when you make it about him, then it doesn't matter what life really throws at you. It doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter what temptations even begin to come your way. Because as your focus has stayed on God, you've seen his power, you're reminded of his glory, you're reminded of who he is, and you rejoice in that above anything else. It becomes the safety for your soul, for your spiritual life against anything that can come your way. And as you're reminding us that though things fail, hey, God never fails. So rejoice in God. And he's reminding us of this because he knows that there are things about to come at us that are going to challenge that. They're going to challenge our ability to stay focused on God. And he begins with that warning to the church right here, starting in verse 2. And look at what he says in verse 2 and 3. He says this, Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. So there's a lot in these couple of verses here. So let's walk through that a little bit. Because first Paul, he's warning us. He's warning against those teachers. He's warning against those people that might come and try to, to tell us to put our hope in something else. But I think he's also warning us about our own traditions our own even spiritual rituals, our own practices that we can kind of get caught up in, that we can end up being tempted to put our faith in over God himself. Where they begin to rob us of things, of focusing on rejoicing in the Lord, and we begin to put our focus as we begin to rejoice in those things other than God's power, other than what we've seen God do. Because here's what happens. When we begin to move our focus to other things, we, we cease for our Christian life to be about who God is and what he has done. And our Christian life, it sneaks in there, but it becomes about us. It becomes about what we think we can do. What do I think I can accomplish? How do I think I can pull this off? How do I think I can make this change? How can I make this thing happen at work or, or my physical world or just practically or even in my own spiritual world? How can I somehow fix this? As Paul was writing to the church, as we look at these, he was writing to things that were very relevant to them. He was challenging them with specific issues, as we see in these verses, specific things the church was being confronted with. And we might look at these and say, okay, these aren't necessarily for us, but what if Paul was writing to us today, church? What if he was writing to us right now? 
Because the truth is, I think that though he would still need to write this letter, he would just have to put different things on the list. He'd have to still say, I want to write to you to watch out. And he'd want to warn us of the same temptation, the same struggle. Because in a sense, what he's doing is he's writing to these people. He's writing to them saying, okay, I know what you think the perfect Jewish Christian dream looks like. You know what the, what the right things are to do in, in your own mind from a Jewish perspective just to, give, to, to make yourself feel like you're getting right with God. But he, I think now he would come to us and even in us, us here in America, he would come and say, but I want to challenge you even against your Christian American dream of what you think Christianity looks like, what you think it is to maybe work your way to find God. And there's a lot of things that can sneak into that. And the first one that I thought of as I was thinking about this, what would Paul want to challenge us with? I think he'd want to challenge us with the idea of baptism. Because baptism is this wonderful thing that God gave us as a church. It's something that we do that he gave us as a representation of what God has done in us. But what we've done, and as we've kind of turned into a, a tradition or a Christian ritual, what we've actually done, we've kind of made it kind of like the Jews saw circumcision. And we look at, especially when we might look at our, our kids, we have this tradition of even infant baptism, the idea of baptizing, baptizing the little ones. And we look at it and say, well, no matter what I got to do, I got to make sure that I at least get my kids baptized. Or as an adult, I got to just make sure that my friend gets baptized. If I just make sure they get baptized, then at least I know they're like in the church. And the problem with that is we begin to look at these physical things that God has given us as where the power actually lies. And that's what the church was struggling with then, with these, with these religious traditions. Instead, what God is asking us to do, he's calling us to a completely different idea. And he's saying, confidence in my physical rituals, when they become to overtake my confidence in the spiritual power of God, I no longer make it about God's work in my life. I make it about myself. I make it about what I do. Because what God designed baptism to do, because he gave it to us, is beautiful. It was meant to be a physical representation of what God has already done in my heart spiritually. How the transformation that God has already done in me and being dead in my sin and being brought back to life in Christ Jesus. He's already done that work. So he says, be baptized as his testimony of what I've already done in you. But when we put our hope in the ritual, when we, when we look for someone to just make sure they get baptized, just do it, no matter what their age, before they've had that transformation, we've actually reversed the process. And we've said, oh, I really hope this physical act can somehow fix me spiritually. And if we don't do it there, there's another place. If you grew up in a church like I did, I grew up in the South, I grew up in the Baptist church, and I remember as a child, every week in service, and they, after they get done preaching, they'd have the altar call. And at the end of the altar call, it was the same thing. Hey, repeat after me. I have a prayer for you if you want to give your life to Christ. And then people would raise their hands, and they'd repeat after the pastor. And we called it the sinner's prayer. And they'd just begin to pray. And then years would go by, and years would go by, and you'd look at the life of this person, and, and they've completely, completely walked away from God. Nothing to do with God. You don't see God in their lives. They're living their own life of sin. They're really not worried about what God has done. And then you might talk to someone and say, yeah, but at least they, at least they said a prayer. At least, at least they asked Jesus into their heart. 
But the truth is that even the teaching of the gospel teaches us that without the evidence of the transformation of God's power in our lives, what he has done, if we don't see the evidence of that transformation, then we have to come back and say that physical ritual of just saying a prayer, that doesn't save us. What saves us is when I surrender my heart because I recognize my sin, I recognize my brokenness between me and my holy God, and when I truly surrender my heart to him, I give my life to him, not perfection, it's not that my life gets perfect, but my, my life begins to experience a transformation because the power of God is inside of me. And when we don't have evidence of that transformation, when we rely and go back to that phrase, well, at least they said a prayer, we've put our hope in the ritual of the prayer instead of the one who we are praying to. We put our confidence in making sure we've said these right words in the right order than on the heart surrendering over to God and God doing his transformational work in my life. And I'll tell you, it's been incredible. The last couple of years, as I do work with a lot of young adults, and uh, last, um, it would have been last November, we got to baptize a few of them that grew up in the church, had said a prayer, looked at their life, and at one point realized they never gave their life to God. They never actually were saved, and they were kind of relying on this prayer that they had said at some point in their life. Regardless of what their life looked like, they said, you know, I think it's time to get my life right with God and truly surrender to him and ask him to do his transformational power in my life, to fall in God's mercy because of what Christ did on the cross and ask him to do it. And you know, when they did that, their lives began to change because there was a real spiritual event occurring. The prayer didn't save them then and the words of the prayer didn't save them now. But as they surrender their lives, the power of God comes in and does what only God can do. And all of these things, these are just a couple of examples. We could lift off others. Some things we run into or maybe are, are just hoping that we're somehow going to be the ones that get the most perfect theology. And if we get the most perfect theology down, and I know I've got all the answers, and I've got this whole book figured out, and I can make sure everyone knows what God meant, and I've got it figured out. You ever met someone like that? I always say to them, if you think you've got perfect theology, you forgot something, and you've already lost your perfect theology. Because there's no way I'm going to understand everything that God says and does perfectly. That's why we need each other in our fellowship. Or maybe we put our hopes in other things, like Bible studies and prayer groups, or just making sure we get to church more than we don't. If I just make sure I accomplish these, these church things, then somehow that means I might be good enough and righteous enough for God. And the thing is, all of these are good. The problem is not that any of them are bad. The problem is how we elevate them how we begin to lift them up, how we begin to make them something that God never intended them to be. It has to be putting the rituals aside and seeking church just to know God. This is what we're going to talk about more next week. But think of this phrase. First, we have to start with just knowing God, who God is and what he has done. And when we keep our focus on him, we begin to rejoice in him. But when we put our focus on these things, we rejoice in those things, and those things can just as easily begin to fall away. Our own religious practices become disrupted, and we can't do them the way we once did traditionally or, or the way we once wanted to do them. I mean, right now is a good picture of that. What happens when they disappear? Where was our hope and our confidence? What did we rejoice in? And But even as believers, apart from the spiritual ritual side of things, not just is there just this Jewish dream that Paul was talking about or this modern-day Christian dream that he, was, that he maybe would write to us today, but there's another one, the American dream. 
If we look at the American dream, we, we often look to these things and we look at things and this expectation of life and comfort and situations. And we begin to say, I just, I need this, if I could just have those things, then I can, I can put my confidence in those things. Things like having the right job. If I can just get the right job with the right promotion, with the right paycheck. If I can just get enough money through our job. Maybe if we both work two jobs and we can get enough money to get the right house. And maybe we just got to make sure that whatever we do, the economy is good so that my life is still comfortable, my life is still safe. Or and then maybe we, as Americans, we even lift up our freedoms and our rights. And we put our hope in there. As long as I have this right, as long as I have this freedom, then I can be confident and then I can rejoice. And the temptation that all of us might encounter, how we put maybe confidence in people, our family, or in our friends. How we often may even look to our spouses or our kids for satisfaction. And we rejoice in them more than we rejoice in God. And the question is, what happens to us, any of us, if one of those are gone tomorrow? What happens if one of those disappear? What happens if two or three of them disappear? What if all of those disappear? What if even in God's divine plan, some of those begin to disappear from our life with what God is doing, would that radically redefine our hope? Would it radically redefine our joy? Would it radically redefine even how we see God and the confidence that we have in him? Because if we were to get real right now, in 2020, I think we are being tested with this as as Christians in America, at least in my lifetime, like we've never been tested with it before. The things around us, they are changing. Our, our normal way of life, the way we expect to be able to live, the way we expect to be able to socialize, the way we expect to be able to just kind of go about life, expect to go to school, all that's being challenged. And not just from an American standpoint, but even our own faith is being challenged. The way we gather and worship, sitting farther apart, having to wear masks, uh, having to have multiple services or overflow venues, all these things, uh, and being on your grow group via Zoom, all these things are being challenged right now in front of us. And as they're being challenged before us, we got to ask our question. This question, what have we had our confidence in? As those things begin to dissolve away, as they think to, attempt to have to change or they're not the way we wanted them to be, are we still able to rejoice? I got to tell you, I think this might be one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves right now, church. During this season, what do we rejoice in? Where does our confidence lie? Because ask yourself this, if someone was to watch me, watch my life right now, as everyone has experienced really similar things, as things that we have relied on and put our confidence in and hope for are kind of crumbling around us, trying to rethink and come up with new plans, and then we have to change it again. As all that is happening, both from a church standpoint, from a way of life standpoint, if people are watching you, would they describe you and say, wow, even as everything is crashing away, do you see the joy on that person's face? They're able to rejoice in something. I wonder if it's God. Like, they're just able to rejoice in God. You just see it on what they say. You see it on how they carry themselves. You see it on what they post. Or would they look at our lives and would they say, ah, they're just struggling like the rest of us are. One thing I was thinking about this weekend as I was really processing this, you know, the truth is, is how we respond. Do we respond in joy or frustration and anger? 
And I just want to share this. If you find yourself struggling with a lot of anger at things that are dissolving away, it's, it's a warning sign to us of what Paul is trying to say. Watch out! He says it three times. Watch out! Watch out! Don't put your hope in those things because that is a sign for us. Maybe a call out from God. God is pulling at us and saying, if these are the things that disappear that make you so angry, then you weren't really rejoicing in me. Your confidence wasn't rooted and founded in me because situations are going to constantly be changing. They're going to constantly be fluctuating. But the question is for us, is there a safeguard in our lives against all of this where we can say, but rejoice in the Lord? And then Paul reminds us also in this verse right here, he says, so in all of this, don't look for any of these other things. Instead, (laughs) Instead, boast in Christ. This is where we begin worship, and we begin to worship, and we just boast in who Christ is, and we celebrate him, and we declare his greatness, and we get to rejoice in him. Then our confidence in him grows. Our reliance on him grows, and the truth is worship takes the focus. It should take the focus off of ourselves, and it takes it to God, and we get to see him. We see him more in his beauty and more in his power, and he continually, as he invites us to rejoice in him, we find our satisfaction in him, and it begins to overflow out of us. Not just am I satisfied in God, I rejoice in the Lord. And the world around me sees there's something different. Not because things are going the way I want, but because I know who's in control. I know who has the power. I know who's in charge. If you remember at the beginning of Philippians chapter 1, when we first opened, we said, what's this foundational verse for this book? We went to Philippians 1.6. And Paul says, I am confident of this. I am sure of this. That he who began the good work in you and in you and in you and in me, he's going to be faithful to complete it the day of Christ Jesus. And he's saying, this is, this is our confidence. This is our hope. How can we not find joy and confidence and satisfaction knowing who's actually in control. It's our God. Who's actually got all of this in his hands? The Lord. And so I can rejoice in the Lord regardless of circumstances. And then Paul, he continues as he gets in the next couple of verses, he's going to actually tell us his own story and how real this really got for him at one point. Look at this. In verse 4 he says, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin and the Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. He's like, look, I've got this spiritual resonance. I love how he says this. If anyone thinks he has grounds to be confident, I'm way better than all of you. And we can just hear that in his voice a little bit. He's like, you think you've got it figured out. Hey, you evildoers that are trying to make it about something else, you think you have got it figured out. You should look at my life because by that standard, I got way more than you. If we want to go with that standard for what makes us right with God, if we want to go with that standard with where you put your confidence in, then hey, I got plenty to be confident in. I got way more than you to be confident in. Go ahead and just try to play that comparison game. And when we get to the comparison game, when we try to look at our things or our works or those rituals, there's always someone that has more. But then he says this in verse 7. But everything, everything that was a gain to me, he said, I've, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Like, read that again. But everything that was a gain to me, 
everything, just keep saying that word, everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. It's like you can look at my resume and I could tell you this whole man-made spiritual version of whatever you might be looking for on paper that seems to say you're righteous or you're good or you have everything you need, you have everything you have to put your confidence in. He says, I consider a loss because now I know, I really know the power of God. Now I really, really know who God is. And in a sense, I really, really know who I am. I really, really know that I was a sinner that was just completely lost in my sin. I was completely lost in my brokenness. I was caught up in everything. And then I realized that I couldn't do all these things. I had so much confidence in my ability to somehow be right with God. I all of a sudden realized, as I realized who Jesus is and what he had done, I realized I didn't die. Jesus did. I had no blood that I could shed to fix anything, but Jesus did. I was captive in my sin. I was completely dead in my sin. And Jesus not only died for me, but he rose again and he defeated sin. Which part of that, Paul would say, has anything to do with me? Nothing. I did nothing. But God's power and his work, because of who he is, he accomplished. And he made the way for us to now be able to say with confidence that we can be not only right with God, in relationship with God, have confidence in who God is and what he has done so that we can continually rejoice no matter what may happen. And church, these other things that we're talking about, remember, they're good things. We don't want to go this far extreme where we just think, oh, nothing else matters or has any value. No, they're good things. Some of them even God has given us. But when we elevate them and they become the things that we rely on or the things we have confidence in, if when those things disappear, we find ourselves struggling with our own relationship with God, then it's, it's the warning to us. It's the watch out. Watch out. Because the safeguard that God has given us to rejoice in him, maybe we didn't quite have the way we thought we did. Because the church was tempted then to do what I think we're, we're very easily tempted to now. We mix it together. Have you ever thought about that? It's not that we deny Christ. It's not that we say, oh, Jesus isn't the answer. But what we end up saying, maybe on accident, is we end up saying Jesus is an answer. Meaning, I have Jesus, and I've got to make sure I got the right job. I have Jesus, and I've got to make sure I, I do all these things that I know a good Christian is supposed to do. I have Jesus, and I just need to make sure that I make enough money, or I have a wife and kids, or I have the family the way I wanted it, and we have, I have Jesus and, I have Jesus and, and what he's inviting us to, the safeguard church, is that when we just say, I have Jesus, I just have Jesus, and because I have Jesus, I rejoice in Jesus, I rejoice in the Lord and everything that he has done, and that is my safeguard. As simple as it could be to buckle the seatbelt. He's saying as simple as it is, when we keep our focus, and think about this, when we got saved, that's what we knew. We knew we needed Jesus. We knew that we couldn't do anything about it. And we came to God and we just, we poured ourselves out to him and we said, Lord, I surrender because I can't do anything to be made right with you and I know I'm a sinner and I know I'm broken. And so we surrender and we pour ourselves out to God and then we get going the Christian life and somehow the safeguard of that focus on Jesus, it gets mixed in with these other things in life.
maybe a religious dream. Maybe it gets mixed in with your American dream. Either way, they get mixed in. And God's like, no, rejoice in the Lord. Look at me. And complete surrender, know God's power. As we come to the very end here right now, I want us to go back to this first challenge, again, that Paul said. Again, what do he say in Philippians 3 ones? Very simple. Rejoice in the Lord. In the middle of life, I want to just ask some real questions this morning. You know, there's a scripture verse. I've been studying the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy with some men in a Bible study. And we came across the Ten Commandments recently, and we were reading through them and talking about them. And if you know what the first one is, it has to put no other idols before God, have no other God besides Him. Not worship any other idols. I remember looking at that first going, yeah, I'm good there. That's not a temptation for me. And then I started studying through this over the last couple of weeks. And I started realizing that anything that I put my confidence in that is not the Lord, anything that I begin to rejoice in and celebrate more than I rejoice in celebrating God, anything that takes the place of the relationship that God wants to have with me, the confidence he wants me to have with him, it becomes, it is another God in my life. It's how I place other gods before him. And then I just had to, boom. I just <laughs> I had to take a step back. I'm like, all right, God, I guess I had some reliance on my own ability there because I missed what you were trying to say. And so even as we think about this this morning, I just wanted to ask you just the real honest question. Right now, are you struggling to find joy? Are you struggling to just rejoice in the Lord? Are the situations that are just are not the way you want them to be? The way it has to be here, those that feel like you're at home and you got to be there for various reasons. The way things are about to come into the fall with our kids and school and jobs and all of that. You find yourself just struggling to find joy, struggling to find your confidence in God. That maybe God this morning is just gently by his loving spirit saying, hey, there's things that you're rejoicing in besides me. Maybe he's even having to say, hey, like he had to say to me, David, you can still have idols in your life. They may not be a golden calf, but you can still have idols in your life. You know what God does? As I was just thinking about this, I was coming back to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four, when he says this, okay, then let's approach, let's approach God today. Let's approach, I want to make sure I read this right. Then let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And right now, I so bad want to be able to say, and here's how we, here's some great things of how to begin to rejoice in the Lord. That's next week, all right? That is coming next week. That's where Paul goes in the second half. But this week, I feel like God's saying, let's just start with just maybe we need to just come before him. And maybe we just need to say, okay, God, I'm struggling for joy. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself angry with everything that's happening around us right now. I'm struggling with my confidence, my hope. May we just say, God, search my heart and show me those things that are in me, the things that I have made idols. And Lord, help me today as I show them to you, as you show them to me, to now just lay them at your feet, to crush them, to burn them up, to destroy them so that you get more of my heart. Would you bow your heads with me right now? 
let's just take a few moments. I want to invite you to just come before God. Spirit, we need you to speak to us because as you were the one that showed us our need for you, you're going to be the one, Holy Spirit, to continually show us what we need to bring to you right now. What is it there that is robbing us of joy? What is it that's keeping us from having that safeguard? What are the idols that may be in our life and in our heart? And if you're a Christian, maybe this morning God is showing you where you've maybe mixed some things together a little bit like we talked about. It's Jesus and something else. As he's showing you what those things are, Remember that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but today we get to come and by his spirit tug at our hearts. And as he's mentioning those things to you, I want to encourage you, if you're in a grow group, as you get together in a grow group tonight or this week, however you're getting together, to ask yourselves those questions. What are the things that God showed us? Be willing to maybe confess that. There's freedom as we begin to confess our sins to another so that God begins his healing work in our lives. But also, I want to encourage you this. If you whether you're watching online right now or maybe you're joining us this morning, if you've never actually surrendered your life to Christ, maybe as we're talking today, you're realizing that you've put hope in things like baptism or that you just said a prayer at one point in your life, but you haven't really been living for him. You realize you never surrendered your heart to him. You never truly said, Jesus, you are Lord. I give my life to you. And if that's you, I want to invite you this morning, just as we pray in just a moment, just between you and God. You don't need to repeat after me. Just go before you and God. Pour your heart out to him. Tell him what you need. You need him. And surrender your life to him. Let's pray together right now. God, as we come right now, Lord, we're all coming as broken people in desperate need of you, but with such great hope because we know who you are and that you invite us to come before the throne this morning to receive mercy. We can come with confidence to find grace. Lord, as you invite us to you, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Show us those idols. Show us those things that have gotten in the way. Show us what you wanted to warn us about this morning that we would come back and be able to say more and more we rejoice in the Lord. He is our safeguard, our strength, and our confidence. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.